The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Today, we will be talking with Jamie Doss and Sonia Baylor, who were part of the talent attraction and recruitment team at Cornell. We will talk with Jamie and Sonia about ways they have been able to effectively create and sustain a positive and inclusive workplace. My name is Erin Sambu-Chase. My name is Toral Patel. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Welcome, Sonia and Jamie. We are so happy to have you join us today. Really looking forward to talking with you. Can you just, for the benefit of our listeners, introduce yourself a little bit further? Sonia, you want to kick us off? Sure. I'm Sonia Baylor. I'm the manager for the Talent Attraction Recruitment Team, and I've been at the university for 30 years. It's gone really fast. I use the pronouns she, her, and I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. Um, So my name is Jamie Doss. My pronouns are she, her, and I joined the Cornell community in March of 2022 as a talent sourcer in the Office of Talent Attraction and Recruitment. So I've officially been with Cornell for a year now. I was promoted to talent acquisition partner, and that's the position that I currently hold um, in the Office of Talent Attraction and Recruitment, and I'm excited to be here with you all today. Yeah, welcome to both of you. Sonia, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit more about the talent attraction team? Kind of what does that work entail? Yeah, thanks. So the talent attraction team is actually a new department in the Centralized Office of Human Resources with the goal of really creating efficiency and improving the candidate and manager experience in the recruiting process. So my team's role is really to source pre-screen and qualify candidates for positions across the university in a variety of different job titles and families. So for instance, we've centralized the recruitment process for all of the administrative assistant positions because they cut across the university. That sounds really like an interesting way to approach, especially in a large institution like this. Um, I can appreciate the desire to try to figure out how to streamline some of that for, for everybody's sake a little bit more. Um, now, Jamie is actually, does not work physically here at Cornell, right? And I know that that's not just the case with Jamie. There's a couple of folks on your team that um, maybe work, you know, in another location or maybe do sort of a hybrid type of work, that sort of thing. That's pretty much reflective of your whole team. So I'm just curious, has, you know, has it always been that way, Sonia? Has the team always been sort of a combination of being remote, hybrid, and in-person? And, and what is that? how has that been working for you all? Yeah, since the team was comprised a year ago, it has been growing and it has been a variety, right? So we have, I have two team members who work a hybrid schedule here in Ithaca. So we meet on campus in in a location three times a week. And then um, I have three folks who report to me who are fully remote and live all over the U.S. So I have one person who lives in California, Jamie's in Illinois, and I have someone who's in Florida. Literally every time zone. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's actually, you know, could be a, a great benefit, right, to uh, when you're speaking with candidates from all over the country as well. So I can see how that could be a huge benefit. Um, so as Aaron mentioned, and I think you might have listened to some of our podcasts from this season, we've really been exploring the concepts of inclusion and belonging. And what does that mean for each of us at an individual level? But also what does that mean for us as a, as a larger organization? And so... 
as we kind of talk that through, can you talk a little bit about the concepts of inclusion and belonging having this remote and hybrid teams from both of your perspectives, Sonia and Jamie? Jamie, you want to go? Sure, sure. So I can start off by saying that I feel very connected to my team and I feel very connected to the Cornell community. And I attribute that to several things. Um, and I'll try to focus in on the, the key areas that I feel have really fostered my um, connection to the community and to the team. So I would say the, the, the main action step, if you will, is that about remaining connected to my colleagues and to the university. I feel like part of that is my responsibility. Like if I want to um, feel connected and if I want to be involved in activities that the team and that Cornell has going on, then I have to do my due diligence to make sure that I do speak up about wanting to be included in those activities or offering to help with, you know, events that are going on that are in a virtual capacity, because obviously I'm not physically in Ithaca. Um, so those in-person events, I have to think about other ways that I could serve and, and, and help contribute to those. Um, but I would say overall that Cornell does a great job of creating opportunities for employees like myself who are remote to be a part of the activities that the campus has going on for the most part. But I also have to be proactive about it and I have to speak up, like I said previously, um, about wanting to be involved and, and wanting to be included in um, opportunities that, you know, are, are, are attractive to me. I would say the other component is the technology piece. So, you know, without technology, it would be somewhat challenging for me to maintain that connection. But, you know, we're in an era where we use technology for everything, right? Like including our communication. So, you know, I never feel lonely in my position because Sonia and my colleagues are just a phone call or a Teams message or even a Zoom call away. So I have ways to still engage with them on a regular basis. and you know, in some respects, I may even engage with Sonia and my colleagues more than what I would if I was in person, um, simply because I have access to them at my fingertips through technology. You know, Sonia and I will jump on a Teams call um, or we'll message back and forth all throughout the day. So those are still ways that I can maintain my interaction and my connection, not just to her, but to really everybody at the Cornell community, because we do have access to various methods of technology. Jamie, that, that I really appreciate that insight, um, mm -hmm. particularly yeah. when you talk about the steps that, that you know you needed to take. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you came mm -hmm. into this position knowing that, it, you know, it was going to be a remote position and that right. sort of thing. So that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious also yeah. from your perspective, you know, the reality is not every team that has a remote or hybrid situation going on is necessarily yeah. that well connected <laughs> to each mm -hmm. other just from what we're yeah. hearing and seeing. But but I, from everything I've seen and heard, talking to you, talking to others in your team, you guys really have it together. <laughs> you really seem yeah. to have, you really like a well-functioning team that is highly communicative and, and works well right. together. So while you, you're doing your part, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what have your colleagues and, and or Sonia done to sort of also help you to feel that sense of connection? Yes. Yeah, so I would say um, number one is that we have regular check-ins that are scheduled. So, you know, in addition to just periodic random check-ins that we may do if something comes up, 
we schedule time on the calendar to dedicate engaging with each other, seeing how we can help one another if there are any questions or concerns, not just professionally, but also personally, right? So it's not that we're only focused on talking about the work that we do. Now, obviously that's a commonality that has brought us together, but we also care about what we have going on personally because we all know that certain personal circumstances can impact your professional performance and your ability to be somewhat successful in um, the work that you're doing. So we also have dedicated time where we do talk about if we have certain personal things going on and how we can help be of a support to one another to help overcome any challenges that we may be experiencing. So the scheduled check-ins, I would say definitely, um, we remain in, engaged with each other um, and stay connected, but we also designate time to engage in leisure activities together. And you may wonder, well, how can you do that when you have different people <laughs> that, that are in different places? <laughs> but it, it, it is possible. So um, one of the things that I love about, you know, being a part of this team is that everybody on the team is very creative. We're also very innovative and we're not afraid to step outside of the box and try something different. So, you know, last year for the holiday season, you know, we kind of stepped out on a limb, if you will, and, and we um, engaged in a gingerbread house activity that we did virtually. And it, it was so much fun. And, and it's something that I think everybody really enjoyed because we kind of raved about it, you know, for a couple of months after that. <laughs> um, and we talked, you know, with Sonia about maybe this is something that we can do annually because we really did in, enjoy that opportunity to not only build something individually, but we were able to still do it together because we were on a Zoom call and we could see each other, you know, building the gingerbread house. Um, there was a little bit of slight competition, right? Because you, you, you want to show that, you know, you were able to keep your gingerbread house from falling apart. And there was a certain technique, you know, that you used that, that helped with that. So a lot of that helped with camaraderie. It was a fun ac activity, but it also helped to foster that connection even further than what we already have done. Um, and to do it in a way that I felt was innovative because we had never done any type of a virtual activity like that before. Yeah, I actually, there's a couple of things that you said, uh, Jamie, that I've actually been making notes of that really stuck out to me is this idea that you mentioned earlier, you started your your um, this conversation by saying that you have a part in the connectedness, right? But I love that your part is not only for yourself, but also for your team members that are that are also remote too, right? So because you have, as you mentioned, right. somebody in Florida and California, and so that your part that you're playing is not just to find your own connectedness, but making sure right. that, that that exists for for your colleagues as well. So I thought that was great, and I absolutely loved the activity that you did. I think that was phenomenal, totally outside the box. You, you are correct that your team is extremely creative. That is one sure way to really get to know people is yes. to put a little competition <laughs> yeah. into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. definitely. Mm -hmm. So, Sonia, you know, you, because you have worked at Cornell for 30 years, congratulations, by the way. Thank on, you. Thank you. On, on lasting uh, that long. <laughs> <laughs> and still smiling. All right. You know? Yep. You and Bert both, yep, you're the OGs at Cornell. Um <laughs> Oh, so, an OG. I yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> up, <Bert. laughs> so, you know, 
Jamie knows no different, right? You started a year or so ago, you know no different than to be working in a remote situation. But we know, those of us that have been at Cornell a while, know that this whole idea of remote work and, and then having a team that combines people who are remote and hybrid is a relatively new concept. <laughs> so I'd love to hear your perspective, Sonia, as to, you know, what has that transition been like for you? Um, because I think you've handled it beautifully from everything I've seen and heard. And we know, again, that some people are still struggling with how to manage a team that is combined of both remote and hybrid people. And so how has that been for you? And what has helped you to be able to do that transition so well? For me, it's been beautiful, right, to see this team come together and they're all over the place and they're all contributing and they're connecting and they're engaged. I think as a manager, like two things for me, right, is being very intentional. As the manager, I need to be very intentional. I need to be engaged and I need to be accessible, right? And through technology, like Jamie said, you know, they can ping me at any time during the day. And I always tell them, like, there's nothing more important to me than you all, right? Your success is my success. And so I need to be available to them. And they will come, you know, via Teams with their questions. You know, most of them are new to the university or new to their roles anyway. So it's been a full year of onboarding. And I think that's an important part too, is really being planful in the onboarding process, especially when you're going to have remote workers, right? We want people to feel like they're engaged. They understand what the culture is here, right? And how we do that is imperative to their success as managers. That makes a lot of sense. What would you say, and you, maybe you've actually had to have this conversation, what would you say to a fellow manager who has also been here a while and is like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't working, this, I don't see how this can work, you know, how is it possible to have, you know, a combination of remote and hybrid what would you say to them to try to help them to sort of shift their perspective? Yeah. So as as a recruiter, and I am the manager, but I still recruit, you know, these are conversations that I have with managers to think about, does this work really need to be in person? Or, you know, could you really benefit from the opportunity to have somebody working remotely where you could open up and have more applicants, right, with the skill sets that you're really looking for that you might not find here locally or in the region, right? And so how do you add diversity to your team by just having that openness to it, right? Yeah, I think that to your point that from a from an applicant perspective, that opens the doors like completely wide, right? You 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 and and the hiring managers have access to so many more applicants mm-hmm. this way. And in, in terms of diversity, that's that's a, a great thing to have. Um, well, so, I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I just have to say. I'm even gonna go so far as to say we wouldn't have Jamie. Right. We would not. Because <laughs> I'm gonna. You know, I I talked to you, and I know that you like where you live, and you're not looking to leave anytime soon. And so here we have this amazing colleague who, within a year, has been promoted because you're that good. Mm-hmm. You know. So that case in point. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> case in point, it works. Absolutely. Or you wouldn't have the rest of your other two team members who are in in California and Florida either. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was able to get the skill sets that I needed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so why not? Why wouldn't I? And and from that perspective, I actually want to focus on the candidate a little bit, Uh, you know, in, in terms of the work that you do with talent attraction. 
Uh, we know that since the pandemic, this concept of remote and hybrid work is is new in a lot of industries, right? And yet we see a lot of companies offering that now because we all have seen that there are different ways to do that work. To your point, Sonia, the same conversation that you're having with hiring managers, can this work be done differently? Um, do you find uh, in your experience so far that many candidates are actually looking for the, this type of opportunity? A lot of candidates are looking for remote opportunities. Jamie, do you want to opine <laughs> on that? Yes. So I would say that, like Sonia just said, it, it is a key benefit, if you will, that job seekers are looking for. I think it helps to set a position and an employer apart from other organizations because the mindset of the job seeker has shifted um, because of the pandemic, right? Like the pandemic kind of opened up a Pandora's box. Um, and one of those positives is that individuals had time to do some self-reflection and really think about how they want to relate to work. What does that relationship look like for them? And what are they looking to get out of their professional experience aside from, you know, the compensation piece of it, um, the professional development aspect. And I think a lot of individuals felt like work-to-life balance is really a critical piece for them because they want to have more time either to spend with family members, with friends, or to engage in, you know, leisure activities that are going to benefit them and allow them to engage in some self-care, if you will. And so because of that, job seekers are looking for more flexibility and more opportunities to have a better work-to-life balance, and remote work allows for that. Um, I would even go so far as to say that a hybrid work schedule will allow for better work-to-life balance than having to work in a physical office five days a week. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I do feel that the majority of candidates are looking for either a fully remote position and if that's not available, they at least want it to have a hybrid work schedule where they do have at least one or two days where they can work from home remotely or from a mutually agreed upon location between them and the employer. And I'll just say that, you know, <laughs> the difference between a position that's posted as remote or hybrid compared to one that's fully in person is going to be like five versus 200 applicants. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That much, huh? Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For remote positions, we see that we really have to pull that position down after five business days, which is our policy, because you're going to have upwards of 200 or more applicants for that position. That is a huge, huge difference. I didn't realize it was that And they large. yield highly qualified candidates, right. you know, highly qualified. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm going to have to screen a lot of people here, which is a good problem Which is to a have. good problem, it's a great to, problem have. to have. It's a great problem to have. Wow. My mind is kind of blown. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about that. Uh, well, because I just think, too, about how we also are trying to, you know, Cornell isn't any different than a lot of other employers right now in terms of having a lot of vacant positions that need to be filled. So we're trying to also quickly fill positions. And so to your point, you know, you can't be spending too much time on just that application screening, you know, phase of it because you got to move forward. So it's just, it's really interesting that how the timeline is going to maybe be different depending on whether it's a remote position or not. 
I think, too, Sonia, you, you sort of briefly said this earlier, but I want to go back to it because I think what you just shared with those numbers really helps also illustrate what you said a little bit ago, which is the ability then to really expand the diversity of candidates uh, and then, therefore, the diversity of our employees. And because of where Cornell is located geographically, that has been sometimes a barrier to being able to broaden who wants to physically come live here. You know, um, nothing against, <laughs> you know, our town. I love our town, but it's just a reality that we're not near any big cities. And some, some people are looking for that and want that. So I think it really makes a compelling argument for, you know, increasing the number of remote and hybrid because we will increase then the diversity of our population, which we really want. And I think another reason why I think that's important because what we do know, too, is that unfortunately, and maybe this goes back to what you were saying, Jamie, with the pandemic, it's ca- it did cause everybody to engage in some self-reflection. And I love how you phrase that. Think about how they wish to relate to work, mm-hmm. you know, what they want their work relationship to be. And so on the converse side, that has also meant that we've also lost a lot of people. You know, we have seen more um, early career professionals, if you will. In other words, people that maybe have not been working for uh, as long as some of us have or are new to their field who are coming here but then not staying as long as Sonia and Bert and, <laughs> you know, and I have. You know, they're leaving quicker. Uh, and unfortunately, we've also seen some people who are of various diverse populations who are not staying as long as they used to, as we would like them to, I should say. So I guess what I, that's my long way of getting to my question, which is I'm wondering if what advice you have, and Jamie, we'll start with you, what advice do you have for any of our listeners out there who might be in that, that boat of feeling like, I don't know if I want to stay here, I'm not really feeling that relationship <laughs> with my work that I want to feel, I'm not feeling connected, belonging, you know, what, what, what advice would you have for them? So I would say, number one, it goes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that the onus is also on you as the employee to be intentional about finding that community at Cornell and engaging in opportunities of interest as they do become available. I would say it's also important to understand that that sense of community and belonging likely will not happen instantaneously. It does take work and effort. You have to build and foster those relationships with people from different backgrounds. And that can take a substantial amount of time to curate and to maintain it. So you have to advocate for yourself as well as other people that are a part of of the population that you fall in. So being a part of, for example, you know, a marginalized population, you also have a responsibility to advocate for those other individuals that are a part of the same population and that you're in community with. Um, Being a remote worker, for example, that is now a population that we have within our workforce, right? Because obviously I'm not the only remote worker at Cornell. Um, Neither are my other colleagues. There's plenty of other individuals that work in a remote capacity, a fully remote capacity, that are a part of the Cornell community. Um, and so it's also a part of our brand now, if you will, because we're posting positions um, as we move forward that offer that fully remote option. And so we just have to make sure, you know, that not only are employees 
advocating and being intentional about creating that sense of community for those that are remote, but also that the organization is doing its due diligence to create activities and opportunities for those individuals to still engage and to feel included in the activities and the mission that we are all on the same page about pushing forward. You know, I've been thinking about what you said where we talked about, you you know, the applicant pool went from, you know, five to 200, right, in terms of the when, when we offer hybrid or remote options. And the other part of me that says, you know, this is kind of a new norm that we're setting across the board, across our nation and probably across the world, that there are now different ways to do work. We are creating opportunities for applicants, but that also means that there are opportunities for our existing employees being created as well elsewhere, right? And so this kind of revolving door is kind of what's happening right now that, as Aaron mentioned, that we do have people that are leaving because all of these doors have been open for them that probably weren't open before because of these remote and hybrid options. Um, do you see, as you know, in terms of talent attraction, do you see this changing anytime soon? I don't see it changing anytime soon. We're all in the race for engagement, right? We are all in it. If you're in the recruiting space, you're seeing it every single day. Um, the unemployment numbers remain low. We're at 3.6%. The jobs report was just out and 311,000 jobs just added in one month with the unemployment rate as low as it is. You know, we're going to continue to see churn, right? And so we have to be able to figure out how we stay in that race to engage. What's going to set us apart? Well, I got to say, I think that one thing that could set us apart, and this sort of ties back to what Toyle just said, we might be gaining people, but we're losing people too. And unfortunately, one thing that has occurred for some individuals over these last couple of years who are already here, who have been working here, is that because of the pandemic and this shift to more hybrid and remote work, that hasn't necessarily been something that has been embraced by um, people who are, who are still here. And so what I mean by that is it's interesting to me to see more and more job postings go up that say this could be remote or this could be hybrid. But yet I'm simultaneously hearing from colleagues who have been here a long time who do good work, who have been requesting to now have more of a hybrid work situation or a more flexible work, and they're being told no. Mm-hmm. Right? They're being told no, no, you know, you got to back to back to in person. That's the way we're, you know, we're back to normal, quote unquote. <laughs> you know, that, so I just think it's an interesting juxtaposition that we seem to have half of a mindset that we recognize, OK, we got to open this up for anybody new. <laughs> but we're missing that we also have to open it up for the people that are already here. Right. And, and that maybe we wouldn't lose as many people if we could do that. So I don't know whether that comes up in you because I know you all are focused more on the, <laughs> on the recruiting and the getting people here, but I just wonder if that if you have ever had those kinds of conversations with the managers that when they're looking to, you know, potentially fill, are they thinking about ways that they could be making the existing workload more flexible for the people they already have? I think it's very position specific, right? We're always going to have those positions where folks are going to have to be fully in person, right? We're a residential campus. And so for that, we're, we're going to need people who are going to be here. Our students want that and they need that. 
But when there are opportunities for there to be hybrid or fully remote, well, why not? You know, it's, it's a matter of exploring if it's possible and taking a look at the position description to see, you know, is it possible without just blanketly saying, well, no, we can't do that, right? Because we, we did do it. We did do it before. So, you know, it's, it's just a review of is it possible and what's possible. And that's actually, uh, to Aaron's point and your point, Sonia, that's what I've been curious about. You mentioned earlier that when you have the initial conversations with the hiring managers and you ask that question, right, is this possible, can, can you talk a little bit about maybe what your first few conversations were like when, you, when you've had to have that? Did you get resistance? And, and if you did, how did you convince them otherwise? Yeah, we do get resistance. We did get resistance initially. You know, mm -hmm. people wanted to get back to normal, right? Didn't we all kind of want to get back to right. normal, whatever that was? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of being reflective on what did that period of time, the pandemic, teach us about life. And I think people are more open. It's not just the job seekers. Managers have been reflective during this time too, right? Everybody's looking to see, like, what is life like after the pandemic and, and what do I want in my life, you know? And most people mm -hmm. want balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was going to ask that of Jamie, who actually, you know, spends time talking to quite a few candidates mm -hmm. and sourcing candidates is, what are you hearing from them in this space when we have the option available that you could do either or, right, either fully remote hybrid or even in person? Uh, what are some mm -hmm. of the things that you're hearing from candidates? So I would say it's a mixture. Mm -hmm. So I, I do have some candidates that if the position could be performed 100% remotely and there is a, also a hybrid option, they would prefer the fully remote option. But generally it's because they have some personal reasons. Maybe they're taking care of family members or something you know, along those lines and it allows them to have more flexibility to juggle both work and being a caregiver. Then I have other candidates where they do prefer um, portion of an in-person experience and they would prefer the hybrid option. And then I encounter some candidates that are very vocal about that they absolutely prefer to be in person five days a week because they like to have um, that in-person experience of being in the office and having those water cooler conversations with their colleagues. Or they have other reasons, you know, not everybody is a digital native either. So some people have some skepticism about how to infuse technology into their into certain aspects of their day-to-day -day. and that can be a little bit of a challenge and a little bit intimidating for some people and so because of that they prefer to go with what is more of the norm and what they're more comfortable with which is an in-person experience. I think it, you're both really speaking to the fact that it, you know we are all so unique and individual in terms of what is going to help us be our best selves mm -hmm. and our most productive selves, right? Because um, you're right, for some people I've heard who, who, when we had to work remote, I definitely heard from some people that they did not feel like they had work-life balance. It was very hard for them to separate because, you know, their computer and their work was in the kitchen, right. <laughs> you know? so. Right. Pretty hard to cut off at five o'clock, and, and and for some people that whatever your commute home is is your is also your time to mentally make that break, yeah. right? And, and shit, but you had no commute home, you know, you uh, except walking maybe up the stairs. That was about it. And but for other people, like you said earlier, 
it absolutely increased work-life balance, you know, because they did, they weren't spending the time commuting. They weren't wasting time, you know, having to travel so they could really be done in a certain time um, to spend with their family or whatever they needed. So it, it just goes to show there really is no one-size-fits-all. You know, and what we're trying to do is help people be the best they could be for us. Right. So why wouldn't we be a little bit more flexible at recognizing that's not going to be the same for everybody, you know? I will say another argument that I have heard sometimes against this idea of remote work or hybrid work is that sometimes uh, managers question whether or not their employees are really working, <laughs> you know, because they can't physically see them, right, and, and they don't have access. And not just managers. I think coworkers too, sometimes question, you know, are they working as much as me? Is their workload as heavy as mine? And, and you know, there, there's some questions there as to whether the workloads are being evenly distributed. So I'm wondering, Sonia, how do you manage that? How do you um, make sure that, you know, I don't want to say make sure your staff are working because <laughs> I think you know they're working, but, you know, maybe more to the point of how do you make sure that people feel like they're not overly worked or that they're having to take on too much for somebody, you know, for something else and that you're not inadvertently disseminating too much and that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it, as a manager, it's about being very intentional, right? Like Jamie said earlier, it's about having those weekly meetings. We have check-in meetings, right? So I know all the time, like, where are you with the projects? Where do you need help, right? On Monday mornings, we have check-in meetings as a whole team, and we do like the once around. How is everybody feeling? What do you have going on this week, and what do you need help with? right? It's just a quick check-in, and it's your opportunity to say, hey, I'm drowning over here. I could use a hand with this, right? And so we adjust workloads as needed. Um, recently, one of my team members went away for a week of training. So I know like a week in advance, he, he put it on my calendar to say like, hey, I'm going to be away next week. So I know that I need to shift down his work and redisseminate that to some of the other team members. Right. And the team members know like, hey, we're going to have to absorb the work because he's going to be away at training. And, you know, we'll do the same for you when you're on vacation, when you're at training, whatever it is. Right. So workloads shift based on what's coming in the door, what the team is already working on and what's going on behind the scenes. I think that that accomplishes two things. It, it does accomplish you as a manager knowing, okay, yep, we, things are getting covered, nothing's falling behind, nothing's falling through the cracks, and, you know, my team's got this. But I think another, maybe more important thing that I heard there is that you are normalizing asking for help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You are normalizing this idea of a team, you know, voicing where they might need assistance, where they might need help. You're normalizing them helping each other. And I think that that's huge because I think that that is an area that we continue to struggle in. Is, is, and particularly if you are a newer employee um, to, a, to a team, you want to look like you totally got it all together and all covered. Uh, but if you have a manager that is normalizing regularly, weekly, you know, and you're seeing that even some of your most seasoned people are not afraid to say, I need somebody else to take this, that's huge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think, and for me, besides everything that Aaron just mentioned, I, I, I think what it does uh, or shows me is that it definitely increases the belonging concept for your team members, right? Because it's this idea that my team is here to take care of me when I need it, and then vice versa, I'm going to step in when when somebody else on my team needs that. And so that inclusion concept um, and that belong the feeling of belonging just for me goes up tremendously when that happens. Um, and that then also talks to the retention, right? We're going to keep the employees because they do have that that sense of of inclusion and belonging within their team so they want to stay here longer you know Tora, when you were saying adding on about the fact that it, it really would help increase belonging jamie i couldn't help but notice you were nodding your head emphatically it, you know total saying that so that seemed to hit hit a good nerve with you why is that oh for sure yeah why is that well i would say it's because it allows for more opportunities to engage with one another right like when we have those check-ins, like Sonia mentioned, you know, on Monday, and then we have them throughout the week, that's more opportunities to engage with each other, to bounce ideas off of one another, um, sometimes to allow for us to vent, because there are times where we do need to do that. Um, and having the support of, of a colleague, as well, well as of our supervisor, helps immensely, I feel, with you know, strengthening our connection and fostering that sense of belonging because I have to feel comfortable, right, to be able to go to Sonia or to my colleagues to ask for support or to vent or whatever it is that I need from them in that moment and vice versa. So I definitely a thousand percent believe that those opportunities have helped to um, increase that sense of belonging, but also help with inclusion on our team, as well as with other members that are not on our team. Because with us being, you know, in recruiting, we're engaging with colleagues in different departments on campus all the time. And so those are also opportunities to help with um, furthering that sense of inclusion and belonging with our colleagues that are external to our team. So, Sonia, you mentioned a little while ago about this idea of being intentional, right? And, Jamie, I think it also goes back to your point earlier about the as an individual, you have to do your part, right? And to me, I also look at that as being intentional. Um, so from both perspectives, can I ask, I mean, though you both were intentional about finding the connectedness, you know, within the team and, and, and with each other, did that come naturally for your team or, or being intentional? How much work was it actually initially before the team started gelling as well as it has now? For me, it wasn't, right? I'm somebody who, you know, I give people the benefit of the doubt and I have a high trust factor with people. And I think that goes a long way in helping to develop relationships with people where they feel like they can come with any problem that they have, I hope anyway, Um whether it's a learning curve situation or a real problem that they're facing that they need some help and guidance around. And I again, I think it really comes down to creating a trusting environment where people can bring their whole selves to the table, right? Whether it's a good day or it's a really bad day and you just want to be, you know, ugly about it, right? right. It's okay, like, to just share, like, <laughs> if we need to ugly cry, we got to do it, right? Like, is there going to be days like that? It's okay. It's okay. There will be no judgment. We've all been there, right? I think it's it's about trust and and really, as a manager, you have to build that on the team where people can feel like they can be their authentic selves with you. 
You know, I just have to say that uh, in our line of work, we often get managers and people leaders asking, you know, well, I don't, I don't understand how to be an inclusive leader. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and they think that it's like the checklist of things, or you know, that it's a separate idea, you know, separate thing to be taught. Right. Like right now, I'm going to focus on being inclusive for the next 15 minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. right. You know, okay. So we covered how to facilitate good meetings. We covered how to, you know, create a team. Now we're going to cover inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> but everything that you have talked about today, I think really speaks to the fact that you have embedded an inclusive approach into all the aspects of your work. All of you have. You are embedding an inclusive approach. You're not treating it as a separate agenda item, <laughs> a separate category. Um, because of how you have chosen to facilitate your team interacting with each other and communicating with each other, that inherently has led to a more inclusive team and increased the sense of belonging. It wasn't so much that you did it separately, you, you incorporated it. And as a leader, I think that you have to be vulnerable yourself. That's how you're going to help build trust. I need you to say more about that, Sonia. Because <laughs> that was like this amazing line, and then you stopped. I need you to... <laughs> I need, and, I, and, and I really want to flush that out for a minute, because the word vulnerable, I feel like it's gotten a bad rep, <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of really feeling like it's, it's a weakness mm-hmm. in some way to be vulnerable. There, there, there's no place in the workplace for vulnerability. So I'd love to hear more about what, what you mean by that. Yeah, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean me saying, like, hey, guys, like I'm having a day, mm. right? And being vulnerable to say that or like, I don't know the answer to that, right? I think there are some leaders who aren't comfortable acknowledging what they don't know. And I think you have to say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. And it's okay, you know? Then they they, they know, like, I'm going to get back to them with the, with the real answer. Follow, I'm not yeah. going to try to fake it, right? <laughs> follow up, right, too. <laughs> right. And I'll follow up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jamie, when, when Sonia has done that, what has been your reaction to to who and who being vulnerable? Well, number one, I try to be of a support, right? Because, you know, there there have been, been times where she has shared with us that she's having a day, right? And there's also times where we've told her we're having a day and we need to step away from the desk. I think I had one of those moments not that long ago. Um, and, and she was there for me and, and so were my colleagues. So, you know, we just try to be of a support to each other and, and offer um, any help that, that we can give. Um, if you need to jump on that team's call and just vent and we just sit there and actively listen and support you, that has been helpful and we have engaged in that. But a lot of it is just being there and, and being available and being accessible. I think that's also another part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we, we need to be accessible to one another and the technology allows us to have that access to one another, even though we're not physically all together. I love that your initial reaction was, well, I want to be supportive. Yeah. I want to be helpful. It wasn't a, oh, I don't know if she's such a good manager after all. Right. But, you know, because she, you know, is having a day. Or I don't know she isn't as strong as I thought she was. Rather quite the opposite. It's, okay, now is my time to step up and help because I know it's going to come back to me when I need it. Absolutely. And Sonia is, without a doubt, an amazing supervisor. She's the best supervisor that I've had, you know, throughout my career. So for for her to show vulnerability, just add, uh, you know, this, this, this monument that, that we have her placed on, because 
most managers are not that that vulnerable and are not open and and confident enough to say that I'm having a day. And she is, and and she's very humble about it. And that's something that that we all appreciate. And it just makes us want to work even harder for her and to be of that support to help her for her day to go better, right? Because if there's something that we can do besides just listening, we're more than happy to step in and and to try to help alleviate, you know, any bottlenecks or any stress that she might be experiencing and vice versa. This reminds me of a training that Aaron and I recently attended. It was called Can You Hear My Voice, right? And one of our presenters said, you know, I'm going to counter that with are you listening? So I think that was that kind of reminds me of the concept of of not only being able to share, but then when it's your turn to listen, also listen to your colleagues and and hear what they have to say as well. Yeah, know that when you're sharing, people are listening and they're responding and they're doing something. And Jamie, I loved it. Um, essentially what you just said is that vulnerability is a sign of confidence. Mm -hmm. And I really like that because I I think that, again, that speaks to, yeah, confidence is being able to be vulnerable and trust that, you know, the people around you are going to understand what that is and what that's about and and support you. And, yeah, that's really cool. I like that. I think it also put vulnerability also puts kind of the humanness in the supervisor, right? So a lot of times we, you know, in in, in some of the the philosophies or beliefs is that supervisors like to your point stand on this pedestal and then they're they're not human <laughs> for some reason they're they're above all of the the emotions and the feelings and 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 they shouldn't be having a day, right? Because they're up here and and yet I think that the vulnerability concept. Put, brings a humanness back in into the supervisors as well. And I think that really helps the team connect at a, at a deeper level. Well, and I think it helps the employee realize, oh, okay, I I don't have to be perfect, yeah. right? Like, I actually think it has that effect, too, that you, when your supervisor is admitting they don't know something and they're going to find out or that they're having a day and they need to step out, I actually think that helps lift the weight off of our shoulders because mm-hmm. then we realize, oh, okay, I could be that way, too, and it's going to be understood and appreciated, right. which Absolutely. I think is really important. Yeah. You know, besides everything that we've talked about today, right, and, and how we go about building this connectedness, for potential applicants that we have and our team members with our supervisors. Do either of you have any additional best practices or advice for either, you know, our our, um, other employees or supervisors or people leaders on campus? Be open and intentional. Be vulnerable. Be connected and engaged. Jamie, anything you would add? I would say to work to overcome your blind spots. Because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you kind of learn as you go, which is what we did on our team. Mm-hmm. You know, Sonia talked about that earlier that, you know, this sense of inclusion and, and community that we have on our team at this time, that didn't come naturally. Like we worked to get there. So, you know, a lot of it was learning and trial and error. But as we learned, I feel like, we got more clarity on what worked and what didn't and the things that did work, we keep those in our toolbox mm-hmm. and the things that didn't work, we took them out of the toolbox and we continue, you know, to, to, to build up that toolbox with activities and, and different strategies to make sure that we do maintain that sense of cohesion and that connection that we have created because we worked hard to get here. You know, it wasn't something that happened overnight. 
Um, there was a lot of learning and a lot of trial and error, like I mentioned, that that happened and a lot of practice, too. Like, you know, we had to practice some of these ways that we engage to figure out, you know, what's going to be the most efficient for us and what's going to yield us success. So I would say that 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 would be, you know, a couple of, of best practices that I would recommend other teams try. I really think that what's important is that I'm sitting here rem- remembering, too, that this was not just a new team. This was a whole new scope of work, you know, that you were doing. So I, I, what I want to say is that I think it's very powerful that you all recognize that you couldn't just focus on this, the work, the subject matter, and the scope of work and trying to get a handle on that. You recognize that it was just as important to make sure you were focusing on your own interpersonal relationships and connections and teamwork and how you work together, which I'm sure is only making your actual work better. I think that that really speaks to the criticalness of focusing on the people, not just the work. Mm -hmm. We were building an operation, right? An entirely new operation, I would say. We were building this ship while we were sailing in it some days, right? (laughs) And so that connection was critical. I needed all of them. I needed their brain power in order to build this ship we were going to sail. Yeah, I I love it. Building the ship as you were sailing. That's right. (laughs) And we do still engage in a lot of the same activities that fully in-person teams engage in, right? I think sometimes people feel like, well, if you have team members that are all over the place, you know, throughout the nation or throughout the world, because we know there are some teams that have employees that work internationally, you know, there are still ways for us to still engage in some of those same activities. Like, you know, we have holiday gatherings. We're just doing them virtually. Uh, We celebrate each other's birthdays. You know, we send items to each other in the mail. You know, Sonia will send me things and and our other uh, remote colleagues things in the mail and vice versa. So there are still ways for for a team to engage in some of those same in-person activities. You just have to be creative and think about, well, how can I do that, right? Like if I want to, if I want to send, you know, Sonia a gift or something like that for a holiday or for her birthday, well, we have the mail, right? Like you can still send the gift. <laughs> it might not get there yeah. um, immediately. <laughs> if you're not intentional, right? <laughs> right, right. But she will get it, right? And 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 so there there are still ways to still engage the way that you would, you know, if you were in the same area, geographic area, you know, as your colleague. So I think people just have to think outside the box about it when it comes to how can we still engage in some of those activities that we know will help create that cohesion and foster belonging. I love that the team also has like this great culture of gratitude, right? We really try to have a culture of gratitude and and be thankful. And at the end of the week, try to just share like, hey, what did everybody do well this week? And what can we be grateful and thankful for? You know, in the spirit of a culture of gratitude, <laughs> I wish to thank both of you for a wonderful conversation. That I think that's a great place to end. We so appreciate both of you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Erin, what an amazing conversation we just had with Sonia and Jamie. How do you feel about what we talked about today? Oh, I just, I always love talking about this subject. And, and I love that we gave it the attention it deserves because I think we all know that remote work, hybrid work is not going away. And 
frankly shouldn't, right. in my opinion. Uh, I really don't think it should. It, it, it's something that there's actually a lot of people, even before the pandemic, that were trying to stress that it, it can be a better way to work for some people. And like Jamie said, pandemic aside, nobody wants that again. Right. But this was something positive that came out of it, that more people realized, oh, yeah, we can do work in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, but what I liked about today's conversation is that we focus more on how to still have a good team. Yes. You know, how to still maintain team connection and communication when you are in that a remote and hybrid situation. And they just have so many good ideas and strategies for that. Yeah, I agree. I had so many takeaways. I think I took an entire page of notes for myself. But I think if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, something that Jamie said that really stood out to me was this idea that some of this responsibility is on the employee themselves. It's not solely on the supervisor to feel or to make that connectedness for each individual and that each person has to do their own part. That really stood out for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and, and part of, I think, why... That's important because, like they said, we all have to get more creative. So mm-hmm. that also means you have to get more creative at how you find connection. Right. <laughs> you know, all the ways you might have been used to finding that when you were always in person with people are obviously not going to work anymore. Right. So, you know, we're all figuring it out. We're all trying to figure it out. Not, you know, the managers don't have all the answers. Yeah. You know, the employees have to help figure out, what, like Jamie was saying, what will work for us, you know, what's going to help us. Um, that's on all of us to contribute to that, to that think tank. Yeah. And and this idea that this connectedness goes beyond the professional, right? Yes, there's there's time and place to connect on the professional front, but there's also that personal connectedness that needs to happen, and that's equally as important. Because when we're not seeing each other in person, we do miss out on that some of that water cooler discussions, which is the how was your weekend, you know, how was the family, what did you do, all of those conversations. And so I think you have to make an effort to have that personal connection as well as that professional. Yeah, you do, and I and I do think that that helps to make the team stronger and then to be able to do better work you know again I'm of a generation where I do still hear people say oh there's no place for your personal life at work and you know that sort of thing no I disagree because I actually think that's what helps us be better employees I agree too Um, not to mention the fact that I'm sorry I think the day that we started developing easy access email and cell phone so that your work started to bleed yes. into your nightlife and your weekend, we lost the right to say there's no place yes. for personal life at work because the workplace has been bleeding into the personal life for decades For now. a long time. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, and I really liked, you know, when, when Jamie talked about the gingerbread activity that they did as a team, right? And, and she really focused on the idea that there are ways to do this. You just have to be creative, innovative, and not be afraid to step out of the box. Mm-hmm. Yes. Part of that is also being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. you know, and and having to stretch yourself a little bit. I really like, I wasn't expecting our conversation to go that direction, but I liked that it did to really talk about that concept of vulnerability in the workplace. Because, again, I do feel like sometimes we have a a misconceived idea of what that looks like, you know, that it looks like somebody always crying, (laughs) you know, always telling all their personal details. That's not what vulnerability is, you know. It's things like what Sonia does, which is set that norm 
that it's okay to say that you need help right. and that you are having a bad day or that you need to step away. That That's vulnerability, and that is only going to let the team be stronger. Right. And I like the, the idea that vulnerability comes from each individual and not just the employees have to be vulnerable and the supervisor is like this amazing like superstar who's going to solve the problems. But you know what? The people leader or the, or the, um, the manager is also a human being, right? And that it's okay for them to be vulnerable within that, that space. And I think that actually leads the team towards more connectedness. Yes, it does. And that's going to work whether you're in person, remote, hybrid, right. whatever. You know, I would just say that too. There was a lot of good takeaways there to apply no matter what your work dynamic is and what your work structure is for sure. Um, and then the one thing Sonia said that I think just kind of this point we've made over and over and throughout the conversation, and I think it's so it's such a vital piece to to building this uh, this connectedness for the team is this idea that it has to be intentional, right? Because you're working differently, you have to go about it differently, right? And you have to put the effort in to actually make the team feel like it's a cohesive team and that we're all working together and we're all there for each other. And that has to be an intentional part on the supervisor's piece, but also the employee's piece as well. It does, absolutely. And, and intention requires thought. It requires planfulness. She used that word as well. And yes, it is going to require a little bit more work and energy because you might have to really twist your way of thinking and perceiving, but look at the long-term benefits. Exactly. You know, here Jamie's only been with that team for a year, but she couldn't speak high enough about, you know, what her experience has been. And we know from talking to other members of that team that they're having very similar experiences. So clearly they are doing something that works well. And we also know the, the other side of that, right? That when you're not intentional, people that have been here for a long time still don't don't feel that connectedness. You know, they've been here for five years or longer and they don't feel that. And so the fact that Jamie was able to find that so quickly within her team, I think that speaks very highly of the full team itself and the work and the effort that they put in to build that for each other. I hope our listeners get as much out of this conversation as we did. Thank you all for listening. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and the show. For latest updates on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Sumbershase. We would also like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound amazing each and every episode. Thanks, Thanks Bert!